Well, amen. What a blessing to see you here on a Wednesday night. We'll be in Esther chapter 3. We're making our way through Esther on Wednesday nights. In this chapter, we have been introduced to Haman the Agagite and his likely connection to the Amalekites. We considered the humble reality of how the disobedience of one generation impacts another. We've seen Mordecai's refusal to bow and reverence Haman in verses 2 through 4. And the reason Mordecai gave for not bowing or reverencing is because he was a Jew. Up until now, though, he has kept that a secret and has not shared that with anyone. So why now? Why make a stand here and not earlier on? And the challenge for us is, are we going to conceal or confess our Christianity? We shouldn't pick and choose when we make a stand for Christ, but we should be living for Christ at all times. Then we saw Haman's pride and wrath in verses 5 through 6. And because Mordecai was a Jew who refused to bow to reverence Haman, Haman now wants every Jew destroyed. That's a bit of an overreaction. And ultimately, we saw how this was Satan at work through Haman. And for starters, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, the rulers of the darkness of this world. And also, this is so disproportionate to the offense that I believe we are meant to see past only Haman here and see into the spiritual realm, if you will, and look into what's happening there. The devil is at work. Satan wanted the Jews destroyed because... At this point, he knows that the promise is coming through the tribe of Judah or the Jews. And so there's a spiritual battle here that we're beginning to see unfold, and it's just being manifested to human eyes in the flesh. Last week, we saw in verse 7, Haman had the lot cast to see what would be the best day for him to execute his plan, uh, to unleash his fury upon the Jews, and then he takes his plan before the king. And we considered how we can be guilty of the same thing. We can make our plans. We can set everything in order. We can tell God, this is what I think you need to do. And so we, we try to get everything all organized, and then we go before our king, and we say, okay, now, king, will you bless my plan? And God doesn't owe us that. Amen. But our main focus from verse 8 last time, we considered how the wicked are watching us. They are watching us. They are taking note. They are seeing how we live. They are seeing what kind of language we use. They're seeing what places we go. They're watching you. They, they want to know. If you say you're in Christ, what does that mean? And so they're watching. They just want to, I think some are just genuinely curious. What is this Christ stuff? Now others, they just want to catch you in a trap. And that's what the wicked want to do. But we are to show the world that there's a difference between holy and unholy. And so what are others seeing from your life? Do they see a difference? Or do they see someone who says they are a Christian and then acts an entirely different way? But make no mistake about it, they are watching. There's a lot of finer details I'm sure we covered. If you missed it, please go back and listen. You can do so on our website or podcast or watch it on Facebook. And I'm sure you're going to want to watch it. All right. All right. 
listen, you're tired, I'm tired, this is going to be a terrible lesson, let's just get through this, okay? Verses 7 through 15, Esther chapter 3. In the first month, that is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast purr. They hated cats too, amen. Um, um, okay. They cast purr, that is the lot, before Haman from day to day and from month to month to the twelfth month, that is the month Adar. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws, therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the Jews' enemies. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province, and to the rulers of every people of every province, according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language in the name of King Ahasuerus was it written, and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. The copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people, that they should be ready against that day. The post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city Shushan was perplexed. So Haman has his superstitious lucky day given, him, given to him by whatever their soothsayers were. And in, in verse 8, he goes before the king. He tries to convince the king. Here's my plan. This is what I'd like to do. And now we pick this back up in verse 9. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. Now, keep in mind, expanding an empire wasn't just about having more power. It's about having more money as well. A conquering king got to keep the treasure that was in the earth, and he got to add more taxpayers to his payroll. So if you were a heathen king, ruling over the largest empire in the world at that time, and it was suggested that you eliminate an entire people group, one would think your mind would think go to the lost revenue. Wait, Haman, you want to do what? I want to kill an entire group of people. Uh, so Haman, to sweeten his proposal, he tells the king, look, I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver. This was, and still is, a considerable amount of money. I, I wish I had a talent. The most common answer I found is that one talent weighs approximately 75 pounds. Well, there are 1,200 ounces and 75 pounds. And we're looking at 10,000 talents. So this is a total of 12 million ounces. As of yesterday, silver was trading at $17.80 an ounce. 
which means 10,000 talents of silver in today's market would be $213 million. $213,600,000. It's such a large number, I can't even say it right. <laughs> I'll never have that much. That's a lot of money. I don't know what this would have looked like economically in their day, but we can rest assured this is a lot of money we're talking about here. Now, it makes sense that Haman was a rich man. He's a politician. He probably got away with insider trading like those in Congress do today. Who was talking to me just the other day? How is it that somebody in Congress can make 250000 a year and four or eight years later, whatever it is, come out worth $25 million. So he's probably a rich man. It's not known how rich he is. We're, we're not told that. Maybe he's wealthy enough that he could easily absorb $213,600,000. To him, that may be nothing. I don't know. We have people in America that are that rich, right? I mean, we got to do this like, yeah, I'm just going to buy Twitter. What's that going to be? $40 million? That's nothing to me, he said. Throw in Instagram while you're at it. I mean, it, it's, it's nothing. Maybe he was rich enough that he could absorb this hit to his portfolio. I, maybe he wasn't. What some people think is, he said, I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver, intending that when he eradicated the Jews, he would take from them to pay his, what he said he would Pay. So in other words, he would reimburse himself after killing all the Jews. Um, we, we don't know that. That's just speculation. Um, because in verse 13, it sounds like that whoever wants to kill a Jew can then take of their possessions. That you can take of their spoil. That you can take their house, their money, their clothes, whatever was going on there. And, and so I don't know, but... It could be that Haman is so hungry for vengeance that he's willing to just drop $213 million. Given Haman's wicked character, I'm inclined to believe he would find a way to cover his cost one way or the other without him paying for it. Um, I don't think he would lose his own money. Matthew Henry suggested Haman would find a way for the Jews to bear the cost of their own destruction. And Haman requests that this be put into writing. Because in Persia, as you may remember from chapter 1, in Persia, if it was put into writing by the king, that was it. That was the law. You couldn't change it. It couldn't be overturned even by the king. And so Haman, he wants this put in writing. He wants this decree issued. It, it can't be overturned. What I'm telling you is Haman is all in. I mean, literally, he is hell-bent on the destruction of the Jews. And now verses 10 and 11, the king took his ring from his hand, gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jews' enemy. And the king said unto Haman, the silver is given to thee, the people also to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. So the king's ring, to give that to another individual, is to give him his royal authority. The Pharaoh said to Joseph in Genesis 41, verses 40 through 43, Thou shalt be over my house. And according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. 
and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. <laughs> I always picture like he's, I'm not even going to say who, but you know. Okay. <laughs> and um, where am I at? He made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. So the king's ring, it would have a seal on it, a signet, and that was used to seal and authenticate official documents. And Hazuerus is now given Haman authority to do as he pleases in the king's name. Now I understand what the Pharaoh saw in Joseph, but I don't understand what Ahasuerus sees in Haman. It, it looks like I said that to say it looks like this isn't just a generous gesture of a man of good character like we see with Pharaoh and Joseph, but it looks like to me here, Ahasuerus is really abdicating his authority. I mean, he's just lazy. He's just giving his responsibility to another. He sees himself as this great man, this emperor, the, the leader of this empire, but he's clearly unwilling to make decisions within his own empire. Ahasuerus, he is completely out of touch. He has such a disregard for life, he doesn't even question who the people are that Haman's talking about. And yet we'll find out, obviously, it's his own wife. And this guy is just out there. What kind of leadership says, here, just do what you want? I'm not saying we shouldn't delegate. I'm all for that. Here's my authority. Go do what you want with your plans. I don't even really care who's at risk. I don't need details. Just do whatever's good in your sight. By way of application, if I may. Husbands, what kind of leadership are you providing in your home? Parents, what kind of leadership are you providing for your children? I hope you take a personal interest. Well, amen, preacher, that's good. Uh, listen, don't just throw your kids out there to the school and to the Sunday school and to the church and say, well, I hope by the grace of God they turn out okay. No, the Bible says a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. Do you know what's going on? Do you know what they're learning? Are you personally involved and invested? Don't be like a Hazuerus. Do you know who their friends are? Do you even know what's going on in your own home under your own nose? Listen, I'm preaching to myself. I've got, I'm the dad of four teenagers. That's fun. I had to kick one of them out of the country. Don't just give your children free reign to do whatever they please. In other words, don't give your ring of authority to another. It's too easy to become lazy and allow everyone else to pick up your responsibilities. Do what God has called you to do. Don't be guilty of being out of touch. Be the leaders that God has called you to be. And so here's an out-of-touch king. And now the people of God 
who are living outside of the will of God are going to feel the lack of leadership from a king who can't even do his due diligence to ensure Haman isn't feeding him a bunch of lies. Well, I could preach right there, but I don't know. Now, I think Haman was a shrewd man. He knows the king's weaknesses. He knows how to prey on his vulnerabilities as a poor leader. Ahasuerus has already demonstrated poor leadership in chapter 1 by allowing his counselors to convince him, hey, why don't you just uh, tell your wife to never come into your presence again? Oh, great. And now he's allowing Haman to counsel him to do even more wickedly than that. Haman says in verse 9, if it pleased the king. And apparently what was said pleased him. Ahasuerus, he strikes me as one of these kind of guys who... Whoever's speaking into his ear in the moment, that's what the truth is. That's what I should do. That's the best counsel I can get. Whatever voice I'm hearing right now. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know? And let me warn you to be careful who you take your counsel from. Do you even know the person that's writing that blog? Well, it had a Jesus fish on it. Be careful taking advice from just one source. Unless, of course, it's the Word of God. The Bible is clear that we need to surround ourselves with godly people. But the king here, he's not seeking any more counsel. Just whatever Haman says, that's what he's going to do. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 24, 6, For by wise counsel shalt thou make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Proverbs 16, 22, The instruction of fools is folly. So what's taking place in, in Esther is the result of absent leadership. No counsel. Now I don't think I need to convince anybody in here what poor leadership can do to a nation. Well, after Ahasuerus gives Haman his ring, in verse 11, the king says, The silver is given to thee, and the people also do to them as it seemeth good to thee. The silver being given to Haman is a difficult phrase to understand. There are generally two opinions. One is that this is saying that Haman, when he had offered the money to, that he offered money perhaps to fund this campaign to some degree. But the king says, don't worry about it, I'll front the money. The silver is given to thee. Um, it seems better, and the most common opinion is that Haman, in, in trying to offset this, this lost revenue by eradicating the Jews, he's, he's kicking in his money to make up for that. And the king essentially says, don't worry about it. Keep your money. I'm good. I don't need it. You may recall from Daniel 11.2 that this was, it was foretold that this empire was going to be the richest under Ahasuerus. Daniel 11.2 says, And now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, shall he stir up all against the realm of Grecia. And the fourth, and the fourth king lines up with Ahasuerus. You'll see it in secular history of Xerxes. The three, the three previous kings were rich, but Ahasuerus, it says, his wealth was far greater than all of them. <laughs> so money's no object to him. Right? And it just makes sense that he would tell Haman, thanks, no thanks, man, I'm good. You know, 
I, I can cover the 213 million. And with absolutely no regard for human life, the king goes on to tell Haman, you do with the Jews as it seemeth good to thee. Now it's hard to imagine somebody having this kind of a heart until we start to think about legalized abortion. I mean, as I was studying this, I'm thinking, how can a man be so heartless as to just take life and not even think twice? I'm thankful Roe v. Wade was overturned, but it did not make abortions illegal. And if your state's illegal, just go to the next state. So it's going to continue. And if a nation is willing to kill children in the womb, then what's to stop them from attempting genocide to a certain people when they finally had enough of them? You say, oh, that's ridiculous. That would never happen. Don't say that. You know, there have been many, many genocides over the last hundred years in our world. The most common being the Holocaust. Uh, led by Hitler, the Haman of, of, of our day. And so don't think it can't happen somewhere like America. We've already shown the ability to kill with no concern for the sanctity of life. So in this sense, we see Ahasuerus and Haman, what they're willing to do here is nothing new. And now this chapter closes out here, verses 12 through 15. I, um, I'm just going to squeeze all this in tonight if I can. I, I don't want to read that again, but... I don't know if there was a Jew who observed the Passover in Persia or not. I don't know if Haman was that calculating in his scheming. But his plan is now put into writing the day before Passover. That intrigues me. Just imagine if the Jews were observing, about to observe the Passover meal in Persia, at least to however extent that they could. The Passover, isn't this almost it's, almost, it's almost funny, and I know it's not, but here they are in the land of Persia. If there are people observing it, the Passover represented being delivered out of Egypt, being delivered out of a heathen land. And yet, here they are in a heathen land. They're about to celebrate this, living in a foreign land, but free to return to Jerusalem. It almost seems hypocritical to me if they are observing it. We know from Ezra, those who went back, they observed the Passover once the temple was built. This leads me to believe, and given Israel's history before this point, they're probably not observing the Passover in Persia in, in any way. And so think about that. It can't be a coincidence that this is taking place, this is being put into writing one day before the Passover. And as this is going out throughout the province, they would have been in that week of Passover. Everybody with me? And, and it can't be, it can't just be that it fell to this. I don't believe the Bible ever mentions coincidences. So I, I tend to believe... There's a much deeper meaning here. And if there's a message in there, I didn't get it. <laughs> now, we can definitely see a foreshadowing of Christ when He was betrayed. Here's this decree 
and I guess, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I think God here, by allowing this to happen during this week, I think he might be trying to get their attention. This is being issued during the very week that you're supposed to be honoring me. This decree is issued to kill the Jews, and there's no crime brought against them. It's just, get your guns and let's kill the Jews. Sores, whatever. Likewise, they arrested Jesus. They delivered Him before Pilate. And yet they never found anything to charge Him with. They just wanted Him dead. So there's 11 months now from the announcement until the execution of this plan. No pun intended. Apparently... Haman did not believe in the element of surprise. I mean, he's giving them 11 months. He's letting people know, this is what's coming. This is what I plan to do. So he doesn't believe in the element of surprise, so maybe he believes in psychological warfare. And he's letting them know, we're coming for you in 11 months. We're coming for your wives, your children. We're coming for everything. And now they have 11 months to sit here and think about this about the day that they will be killed. And if there's a connection between Haman and the Amalekites, this is the same behavior that the Amalekites showed Israel. You think God had a reason why He said, I want them destroyed? All the way back there in Exodus, we looked at it. But when you get to Deuteronomy, Moses says, Remember what Amalek did under the by the way, when you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way, and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. They were not merciful then, and they're not going to show any mercy now under Haman. Proverbs 12.10 tells us, the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Proverbs 27.4, wrath is cruel and Anger is outrageous, but, who's, but who is able to stand before envy? Man, that describes Haman. The, the decree has now been issued. The time is set. The Jews' destruction is at hand. It's being hastily sent throughout all the provinces in the land. And what do, what do the king and Haman do? They sit down and have a drink. And they had more than just a drink, I'm sure. They sit down to drink. Proverbs 31, 4 and 5, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. We saw how wrath is a problem in this book. We're seeing how drunkenness is a problem in this book. They sit down to drink. They're, they sit down to enjoy themselves. Meanwhile, the city is perplexed. And this is such a sad picture to me of how leadership can be so calloused. They're going about their lives like nothing's happening. This is just an inconvenience. Make them go away. They're sitting here having a drink while genocide is now looming outside of the palace walls. Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Some think Haman here is, is actually the one inciting all this to get the king drunk and get his mind off of what just happened. 
in order that he doesn't go, wait a minute, what did I just do? Because clearly Ahasuerus has not thought this through. You know, it's easy for a king to sit there and say, yeah, destroy the people group, destroy whoever it is that says they won't obey my laws without ever thinking how far-reaching that's really going to be. And I just want to tell you, be careful when you make your decisions. It might affect a lot more than you think at first. There were, there, listen, because I'll tell you why Ahasuerus isn't thinking this through. There's Persians, his own people, that have married Jews. They have had children. And somebody could just consider them a Jew if they wanted. Hey, the, the Persians made friendships with the Jews. That's about to be severed. Spouses are about to be killed. Children are about to be killed. Business relationships that help the economy are about to be uh, ruined. And, and we sit here and we, and we think, I just make this decision. It, it may be far worse than you ever imagined. You've you got to think things through. Don't be hasty with your words. I frustrate people sometimes as pastor because I say, I just want to think about how the precedent I'm setting. What is this going to do down the road? How is this going to affect other decisions? And we just got to take our time. Now, there were some compassionate Persians. No doubt, Haman must have had some idea that there's enough anti-Semitism in the land that he could get away with this. But there were people that cared about the Jews. We see they're perplexed. Like, what? What's, go- what's going on? Why is this happening? What, why has this been decreed? And, and listen, all of Persia should be concerned. Because if, if the king's demonstrating he'll do this to the Jews, what's to say he won't do it to the next people group later? Precedent. We should be concerned when any group is wrongly targeted in our nation. Even if it's a group you don't like. Because that is setting the precedent to say, well, when we don't like Christians, we're coming after you. We're supposed to be a free people. I won't go there. Well, I know this has been difficult to sit through. It was difficult for me to sit through studying it. But this is setting the stage for what's going to happen next. The Family Bible Note says this, The triumph of the wicked is short. And while providence for a time seems to favor them and they glory in their expected success, they may be working out their own destruction. I mentioned this last time and we know it's one of the major lessons of this book. But God can easily turn the plans of the wicked against them. Here in Esther, Haman's plan to destroy the Jews is going to lead to his own destruction. His plan to destroy the Jews will ultimately lead ultimately lead to their deliverance. And if you're not asleep, this should, have, this should be reminding you of Christ. The plan was to destroy Christ, but they ended up destroying themselves. The, the plan was to destroy Christ, but it ended up bringing our deliverance. We serve a mighty God. And I hope you will learn to trust Him. He's still in control. It looks like things are favoring the wicked. But God wins in the end. So don't despair. Don't lose hope. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Until next time, let's pray.